Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Friday, August 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we are going to speak with Sabin Howard. Sabin is the sculptor who's basically putting together the World War I memorial that they're planning to install at Pershing Park in Washington, D.C. Of course, this year is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. 2018, of course, 100 years after 1918, for those who aren't so good at math. Last year was the centennial of the entry into World War I in 1917. They're getting closer to putting this thing in there. Uh, It's going to be at Pershing Park, which is uh, right there near the White House and everything in Washington, D.C. There are a lot of hurdles that they've had to go through, and we're going to talk to Saban about the most recent one, which may be the biggest and may get us the closest to actually getting a World War I memorial installed in our nation's capital because there isn't one. Pershing Park, which has basically fallen into disrepair, is the closest thing to a World War I memorial in Washington, D.C. Saban's looking to change that, along with the uh, the team, the person who designed it and everything. The, it's really a beautiful monument, and we're going to talk to him about it, about the process of making it, about the process of getting the approval, which seems a lot harder than the making it part. We're also going to talk to the veterans of foreign wars. I believe we still haven't heard from them on who exactly is coming in today, but we should have a VFW guest today as we do every Friday. And if and when we do, you'll hear that after our interview with Sabin Howard. But first, let's interview or at least speak with super producer Jake Hughes. Jake, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm okay. After sitting for 15 minutes, like 50 yards from the entry into our building, (laughs) because the construction taking place around here is ridiculous. And there were two uh, dump trucks that were trying to get in to drop off whatever was in the back of them. And they just didn't for like 15 minutes. I just sat there wondering what was going on. It went from being irritating to funny, back to irritating, to funny, and then finally at irritating before it finally worked its way through. But other than that, can't complain. Uh, Pretty good night and all that stuff. And now, a a good show today. Sabin Howard, a guy that we've talked to before, world-renowned sculptor, making this beautiful memorial. Can't wait to talk to him about that. And then later on today, to give people a preview of something they're going to hear on Monday, we are going to have Senator Tammy Baldwin in studio, the senator from the state of Wisconsin. He's going to talk to us about a number of things, including including a program she's got to help veterans get into flight school oh, to wow. work towards becoming commercial pilots. Oh, Man, I, wow. I said it. Dang Indeed. It. Oh, you say it a lot, and you're never going to be able to stop saying it. But now you're going to recognize it and hear it, and that's a beautiful thing. So <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you point out the things that I do, and I won't care. That's the beauty of me. I'm just like, meh. All right, whatever. If I do it, I do it. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Senator Baldwin, and you'll be able to hear that interview on Monday's show. So that's going to be a good one, along with IAVA, of course, on Monday. And if you're listening to this and not watching it, hey, guess what? You can watch it, the first segment of the show anyway. We broadcast on Facebook Live at the Connecting Vets Facebook page, at Connecting Vets on Facebook Every Monday through Friday at 7.15 when we record it, and then it actually airs at 8.15. So at 7.15, you can watch it. And if you don't have the ability or the time to watch it at 7.15, guess what? It gets uploaded afterwards, so you can watch it at any point during the day and hear, you know, the top items of the day that Jake and I talk about. One of the big items that's been all over social media since last night looks like the military parade that we just talked to Joe Chanelli from AMVETS about yesterday is going to be delayed. 
Oh, darn. They were hoping for uh, Veterans Day this year, 2018. Now it's looking like 2019 is when it's going to happen. Uh, a lot of reasons for that that were given, logistics and other things of that nature. Uh, one big thing that came out, apparently it's going to cost a lot more than they thought it was going to. So uh, originally, one of the, the benefits of this was, hey, it's not going to be all that expensive, and it might be more effective than some of the recruiting money that the military does spend, like on NFL displays at the football games, which uh, a lot of people didn't realize until recent years, the military was actually paying to do. It wasn't the NFL acknowledging the military out of some form of respect or the goodness of their hearts. No, it was for money. Uh, I don't know how effective those things are <laughs> as, uh, as recruiting tools. And as Joe Shinelli brought up yesterday, I think it's a good point. A parade with people going to it and seeing it, uh, it, it may sound at face value like, oh, God, a parade. But you know what? Parades are kind of effective for making people uh, happy about things, maybe putting something right in front of people who may not otherwise see it in the military, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't come across the military in their day-to-day -day life. Most people don't come across the military in their day-to-day -day life. Joe used the example of the New York Mets, their 1986 parade after winning the World Series and how that made him, you know, really want to become a baseball player. Well, he didn't become a baseball player, but I'm sure some kids who were at that parade or any of the other parades for the baseball teams that have won the World Series, it has pushed them to do that. As far as the parade being put off to 2019, we were talking about it out in the ConnectingVets.com newsroom yesterday, and I, there was a lot of us thinking, like, you know, I'd probably go to it, and I'm sure it would kind of stink if you're one of the people on active duty who has to take part in the parade. At least it would originally feel like it was going to stink, but then, you know, it's probably going to end up being more like a Fleet Week thing where you just get to hang out in Washington, D.C. for a few days and then march a couple miles and be done with it. Uh, I, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't dislike the idea as much as I thought I might when I first heard about it. Um, of course, now I'm going to have to wait until next year, at least, to uh, to actually witness something like that. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things uh, about the parade that, that people like. There's a lot of things that people don't like. And like with many things, there's, of course, the partisan divide on this, where yeah. people that don't like the president hate the idea because... Well, it came from him, and everything that comes from him is awful in their eyes. Uh, this is one where I think there's also some people who do support him who think, eh, I don't know if this is the greatest idea, uh, but there are those who support them. And, you know, AMVETS, as we were talking about yesterday, they certainly do. Um, the uh, American Legion put out a statement last night on the parade, and it's uh, uh, it was a little tongue-in-cheek Things like that, you know, uh, came from Denise Rohan saying essentially that they believe that that money that would be spent on the parade should go towards veterans and go towards the military. And I, I understand the idea there. But again, the money to pay for this, as far as I'm aware, was going to come from the military's recruiting budget as listed in the NDAA. Um, but yeah, nine. What's I, know, that? I said I know the VFW is all for it. We've talked to Joe Davis before, and he said that he believes every day should be Veterans Day, and that yeah. the parade is a great way to honor our troops. Yeah, uh, but honoring them at a cost of uh, apparently an estimated ninety-two million dollars. Uh, that would be fifty million from the DoD and forty-two million from other government agencies. The initial report for the cost of the parade, the initial estimate was $12 million. So you're talking uh, nearly five times as much, you know, four and a half times as much, something like that. So that is a big and significant difference. Uh, again, I don't really have a dog in the fight because I'm not in anymore, so I'm not going to have to take part in the parade. It's something that, you know, if it took place and we're, we broadcast from Washington, D.C., I'd probably bring my son down to see it. My family would come down and check it out. I think it would be... Uh, I think it's an as an idea to a lot of people, it's maybe not that popular, but in reality, I think it could be. And you can let us know what you think if you comment on the Facebook uh, broadcast. There, of course, if if it's while we're live, we can tell you. Uh, we can talk about your comments on that. Here's another thing coming out, and this is on the ConnectingVets.com page. Veterans with a 100% VA disability rating can now fly aboard Space A flights. Space available flights for those who may not be that familiar with them. And there's even military members that don't know exactly what Space A is. Space A is 
the ability to fly for free on military aircraft, whether it's a, a chartered plane that brings people over, like the rotators that go over to overseas bases, or on a C-5 or whatever the case may be, if they have space, if they have 40 seats available, then 40 people get to fly on it, essentially. There are, of course, openings for retirees. They're allowed to do it. Um, there are, of course, those who are on active duty. They're allowed to do it, as well as all their families. Now, veterans with a 100% VA disability rating, they're going to be able to do it as well. It's already law and policy. It's called uh, Section 624 of the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2019. Uh, when it was signed at Fort Drum, New York, this Monday, it immediately went into effect. It's not for everybody. It's for veterans with a permanent service-connected disability rated as total, meaning only those who have a VA disability rating of 100% are eligible. And there are limits as far as where you can go. If you want to travel internationally, you may have to play, pay for a commercial flight as Space A Flights for Vets is restricted to the continental United States or directly between CONUS Origins and Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam, and American Samoa. So U.S. and U.S. territories, not U.S. bases. So if you were someone who was stationed in, I don't know, let's say Rammstein, Germany or Rota, Spain, and you're thinking, you know, I'd like to go back there, see some of my old friends in Rota and, uh, and show my family. Uh, the place that I, I spent so much time in, that's not going to happen on this Space A. So Space A for active duty and vet and uh, and retirees is not limited as far as where you can go. This one for the 100% uh, disabled veterans is limited to CONUS and our territories. And of course, it's not a guarantee. That's the other thing about Space A that uh, <laughs> I remember a guy who worked for me in, oh man, I can't remember where it was. If it was Siganella or it may have been somebody I worked with in Iceland. I'm drawing a blank on exactly where it was, <laughs> but uh, th they had a plan. They were going on leave for like two weeks and they were taking, going to take a space, a flight. They figured out when the flight was going and I think they wanted to go to Germany and uh, you know, it, it was a great idea and this flight was there. There were no spaces available on that plane. So they didn't get to go and didn't have a backup plan and already had to leave shit <laughs> in. So I ended up spending two weeks staying pretty much right where they were. I mean, you can plan where to go, but don't don't have that be your only plan. Have a fallback. That's something that, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Chaz Henry who works here. He's a retired Marine, and he and his wife uh, are, are planning to go on some Space A trips in the coming months, I know. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you, this is the day I plan to be back, but I don't know for sure if that's the day I'm going to be back because with Space A, you can kind of get stranded someplace for a while. I remember being stationed in Suda Bay, Crete, and someone got a Space A flight to Suda Bay and then thought they would be able to get onto another flight from Suda Bay going back towards the States. That didn't happen. So this person was living uh, for like two days in the air terminal there and then moved to the uh, Navy Lodge on base. And it's, it's not a guarantee. That's important. So for those who have never done it before, remember, it's, it's a fingers crossed type of deal. It's kind of like... What's it called when you're on an airplane uh, or standby on yeah, an airplane on where if somebody doesn't show up or whatever, then you get to go on. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get to get on there. So keep that in mind. You also must have a DD-2765, the Department of Defense Uniform Services Identification. Uh, it's it's very interesting. That's basically the document that lists your disability rating. So you have to prove that you have that 100% disability rating. But... It's a, something that wasn't available that now is. And even if it's not international, the ability to fly around the United States for free, that's huge. That's it's, big. It's expensive to fly here, man. I, when I was driving back and forth between New York and here every weekend for like two and a half months, oh, that was miserable. When I was doing that, I looked into flying and it was just too much. I mean, it was like $175 each way to fly for 30 minutes. Now think if you're trying to travel east coast to west coast or something like that. I suppose the biggest problem that can come up with this is, let's say, you know, Jake's buddy, uh, Jimmy, is getting married in San Diego. And Jake's like, all right, well, I'm going to hop on a Space A flight. You got to plan to get there more ahead of time. You got to give yourself more than just one option. It's not like buying a ticket where you know you're going to get on the, the 10 a.m. flight that's going to get you to California at you know noon or whatever, considering the time difference. 
it's you're going to have to try to get start planning to get out there a couple days early so that if it falls through, you can try again and again and again. And if you're a member of the bridal party or involved in that wedding, probably just go ahead and buy a ticket to be yeah. safe. <laughs> Maybe buy a ticket through an airline that definitely gives refunds if you don't fly for, you know, make that your last resort. But there are different ways to do it. One thing that I put up there on uh, on ConnectingVets.com yesterday was an opinion piece about, yeah, America was and is great. And it's directed at Governor Andrew Cuomo from New York, who said uh, on, I guess it was on Wednesday uh, when he was giving a speech, we're not going to make America great again. It was never that great to begin with. Now, that, of course, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It's already being used against him by his competitor for the upcoming gubernatorial race in New York, Cynthia Nixon, who many people know as, I don't know the names, but the redheaded lady from Sex in the City. Yeah, Cynthia Nixon uh, is running for governor there, and she hammered him on it. Uh, A lot of people are. uh, The only people who aren't are people who really don't like the United States, despite all the uh, great things it gives them, including the ability to say that they don't like the United States. But I went through and listed... Five things off the top of my head just related to the military and veterans that do make America great. The things I chose, D-Day, Apollo 11, landing on the moon, Operation Unified Assistance. Do you know which operation that was, Jake? No. A lot of people don't. That was the relief for the uh, 2004 tsunami that hit uh, the Indian Ocean, particularly Indonesia, uh, where the military mobilized almost immediately. Uh, Navy Carrier Strike Group uh, left its plan of action to go over and set course for Indonesia to help out, producing fresh water, doing airdrops of supplies. I mean, medical teams going out there and everything like that. Uh, and, And the reason why I say that was great is not just because they did all that. That's great in and of itself. But here's the other thing. And I kind of had heard about this, but then yesterday as I thought about it, I looked into the details. Before that tsunami, with the population of Indonesia, the United States had an 18% favorability rating, meaning less than one in five Indonesians thought highly of the United States. At that time, Osama bin Laden was viewed favorably by over 50% of the population of Indonesia. He was a bit of a hero to some people in Indonesia for uh, attacking the United States, among other things. That changed and flip-flopped after the the aid that was given, but we went to a place where 80%, 80 80-plus percent of the population hated us, or at the very least did not like us, and still helped them. And that that's part of what changed the opinion over there. But that's not why we did it. We did it because people were in need. Uh, nearly 200,000 people lost their lives in Indonesia alone. And the United States military, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, I, I'm sure there was some Army involvement there as well, although I'm not all as aware of it. I mean, the Navy and Air Force assets yeah. are just... They're kind of made for things like that. Right. I mean, we have things like the USNS, uh, USS uh, Murphy, USNS Mercy and Comfort. Those would be, not the Murphy, the Mercy and Comfort, which are the two <laughs> hospital ships. Um, my old ship, which was still active at the time, the USS Saipan, was the third largest hospital ship. It was a Marine transport, but when you took the Marines off, it converted into uh, basically extra hospital beds and all that stuff. The Navy went over there. Ships were producing 90,000 gallons of water each a day in a place where water was now all contaminated and was going to cause even more deaths than the actual tsunami did. So that was a huge one. I mean, there are a lot of things that people don't think about. And and these five things came off the top of my head. Team Rubicon, the amazing work they've done in Haiti and Texas and all these other places. And the question I ask in there is, hey, there are great veterans from many of our allies, from many nations, but how many are you aware of that have put together something like Team Rubicon, where they travel to disaster areas, even in other countries, and help out after they're out of the service? Just, that none, none that I'm aware of. And, and you don't see it. You don't hear about it. You don't see it. There may be something out there, but Team Rubicon is just an example of one of many organizations uh, through veterans and the military that does things like that. And it is, uh, you know, it's truly, truly great what they do. And just another example of the selflessness of our military and veterans. And that's just one aspect of what makes us great. And the last one I used in there was one that didn't grab any headlines. It wasn't designed to. It wasn't uh, tactically important in Afghanistan. But 
It's something that I witnessed firsthand, and it was the little village of Hazarakala, as I called it, Whoville, because if you go to the store, you'll see a picture of the trees running along this little stream that ran through the town, and man, it was just a weird place, and the, 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 uh, the chief of the village had these crazy long sleeves on his jacket that went well past his hands. It was an odd place, an odd place that wasn't very strategically important to the 10th Mountain Division's uh, artillery battery out there in Kazar, but... It was a town where the local school, mosque, and houses were in danger because of the stream that was also the lifeblood of their village. They had a little mill there where they made uh, uh, bread and things like that. It started eroding the walls to the point where the it was going to collapse underneath the schools and the mosques and all that stuff. 10th Mountain Division, the Khazar Artillery Battery, went in there and put up temporary uh, ways to keep it from happening while working on more uh, uh, set-in-stone ways. And again, one of just many things that I witnessed in Afghanistan and other places of the good or even great things that our U.S. military does. I got a little hiccup there for a second. That was, <laughs> that was odd. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's just, it's it's... It's upsetting to hear the governor of one of the 50 states in the United States. He's on record as saying New York is great. Well, he thinks New York is great, but the United States isn't. Okay, really? Do you? And that's kind of an example of what, you know, the VFW and AMVETS and everybody have been talking about where I think there is a problem with patriotism in this country. I think there is this subset of the population who just wants to put down the United States and paint us as the bad guys. I mean, my God, World War II, were we the bad guys in World War II? There are people who try to push that. There are people who say we weren't any better than the Japanese Empire or the Nazis in World War II. There are people who say that, that, oh, you know, if the U.S. had lost, they would have been put on trial for war crimes. I don't, okay. I mean, if you want to say that the U.S. is as bad as Nazi Germany or the Imperial Japanese Empire that was launching kamikaze attacks and massacring people in China and all these other the baton, things. death march, all that. Oh, yeah, all that stuff. I, I don't recall anything in our history that was uh, even similar to those things, uh, similar to the level. Uh, yeah, there were, of course, it's not a perfect country, and our history has plenty of black marks on it. And as we talk about World War II, the internment of Japanese civilians in camps, uh, you know, it was kind of uh, not the right thing to do, I would say, at the very least. But it's also not the same as trying to exterminate uh, several races of people and experimenting on people, uh, live experiments, medical experiments, as both the Japanese and the Germans did during World War II. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that there is this, it seems like a movement and a growing one to kind of crap on the United States. I don't like it. I don't get it. So that's why I wrote that thing. And you can read the details of each one of those things and why I think they make America great right there on ConnectingVets.com. Coming up on today's show, we've still got uh, you know a lot coming up on the show, essentially. We are hopefully going to have the VFW in today. We still haven't heard <laughs> from the VFW on who's going to be our Friday guest this week, uh, to the to the best of my knowledge anyway. So hopefully somebody will be coming in here shortly. And then uh, Sabin Howard is going to be up next, and that is the sculptor who's putting together the World War I memorial that will be put into place in Washington, D.C. Jake, another thing that I put up on the site yesterday, and I'm telling you, go to ConnectingVets.com, not just for this stuff, but for everything that's up there, including upgrading an OTH discharge, news stories about the VA being unable to pay its bills, and so on. Yesterday, Jake, we talked about the fact that Urban Outfitters is selling what, <laughs> what amounts to a United States Army PT glow belt. So I came up with some more ideas for Urban Outfitters or any other company out there who wants to make a few bucks on people who want that real military look and feel. So tell me what you think about these quickly as we finish up my ideas. One, the blank firing adapter. How about you get two of them and you wear them as earrings? Oh, that'd be great, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, your earlobes, they're a little heavy, so your earlobes might stretch out. But we got people putting these rings in their earlobes and everything. The blank firing adapter, think of how cool that is. Think of how tough you'll look with some BFAs hanging off your ears. Or, uh, you know, just uh, use them as some sort of uh, other device, like put them on a hat. Anything that you want to do with them. The Navy Oxygen Breathing Apparatus, which if you haven't seen it, really looks like something out of the Bioshock video game or <laughs> uh, some sort of dystopian futuristic nightmare, or maybe Fallout 3, uh, the old thing that we used to use uh, as a breathing apparatus. Extreme cold weather boot inserts. I have like eight of these at home, and I swear each one is a different size than the other. 
None of them seem to match. They're like nine and a half, ten, nine, eight and a half. What is going on here? Uh, never used them. And when I did try to use them, they didn't seem to make my feet any warmer. So just kind of left them there. Mop boot covers, the big rubber boots those, for your mop Those suit. do you need, the galoshes, you need those. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking not, not practically. I'm thinking as a fashion statement. What if rubber is like the in thing this year? How cool will you look with giant rubber boots that you wear over your other boots and make you walk like a weirdo? That is, it's just perfect. It's the nearest, it's the latest fashion, That's man. what fashion is all about. That's haute couture, I exactly. think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Or, I don't know. I don't speak French very well. And the number five, this was an idea that Jake actually brought up. And I'm going to read you the entry on this one, Jake. The supersonic fighter jet everybody, even Australia has, but nobody seems to want. Here's your chance to look cool sitting in the cockpit of the latest and greatest air asset in our inventory while a team of mechanics tries to figure out why it won't fly. That's, of course, the F-35 <laughs> Lightning II Joint Strike Fighter. Uh, suggested retail price, $20 or best offer. And I have a lot more ideas. So if there are any retail retailers out there looking for uh, something to make some money off of people uh, who don't like their money and want to look like the real military, you come and talk to me. Let's talk about tucking pants into socks. Yeah. Makes you immune to fire, man. I'm telling you. It does. It's, it's, a, Navy, it's a Navy truth that a lot of people don't know about truth about this show is it will be right back with Saban Howard, the sculptor of the World War One Memorial that is looking more and more like we're getting closer to putting it in place in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk to him about that in just a moment. Morning Briefing, Eric Day and Jake Hughes back after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. Each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn that uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for the last time. And that's why each and every day we are working to put content out that will help you, the veteran, live your best veteran life. Whether it's the Benefits in My Backyard segment Jonathan Copanger, a Navy veteran does, whether it's the entertaining stuff, the entertainment stuff that Jake Hughes is doing, and if it's just something that could be of benefit to you in any way, the team at ConnectingVets.com is focused on it. You can find us at the website and also on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a returning guest to the show. We spoke to him last year about a project that he's involved in that is near and dear to many people's hearts. You see, 2017 was the centennial of the beginning of the U.S. involvement in World War I. 2018 will mark 100 years since the end of World War I. And while it's been 100 years since that war came to an end, there is still no monument to those who served in it in Washington, D.C. Our next guest is part of the group that's trying to change that, and a big part. He is world-renowned sculptor Sabin Howard. Sabin, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you joining us once again. And for those who didn't get to hear us talk the last time, which I think was like nine, ten months ago or something, uh, let's go back and recap how you, uh, you know, a classically trained sculptor who's done all these amazing things, how was it you that came to be involved as the sculptor for the planned World War I memorial that's uh, set to be in Washington, uh, D.C.? Well, in 2015, there was a global competition and out of 350 teams, uh, Joseph Weishart, my partner, the architect in training, who was then 25, um, made it to the finals, the final five. And from there, he looked around for classical sculptors. And there are really not that many of us out there. Um, I got a call and accepted. And that, that started things going. Um, we finished in the process of actually being looked at again by the Centennial Commission um, in the fall of 2015. In January 2016, we were um, handed the commission to create this uh, monument and park. 
what was it that made you want to be involved in this project? I mean, there are some people who kind of, uh, they kind of equate artists like yourself, whether sculptors, painters, with uh, being more associated with the peace movement than perhaps something involving uh, recognizing a war. What was it that spoke to you about World War One and made you want to get involved? Uh, there are a few. There are a few things. I I'd been sculpting for thirty five years, and I, I work from life models. I looked at life models for over fifty thousand hours, and I got to a place in my my own life where I wanted to make a, a bigger difference to play in a larger arena. And when this came along, um, I, I I entered the project, and it in a way it was transformational not only for. Um, the, the people that were in this war, which is obvious, the soldiers, but it also transformed me as an artist because I went from doing something that was more esoteric to actually doing something that really serves and has great meaning to so many people, not only vets, but all over the world. Uh, you have visitors coming to Washington that want to learn about the history of this country. So my my piece is not only about war, it's also about healing, and it's also about transformation, and it's about a hero's journey as well. And let's talk about the piece. For those who haven't seen it, and I highly recommend they check it out, you can Google World War I Memorial, or you can go to Sabin's Twitter account, at Sabin Howard, that's S-A-B-I-N-H-O-W-A-R-D, to see examples uh, of, of what this memorial is going to look like when, and I'm not saying if, I'm saying when it gets put up in Washington, D.C. Uh, tell us a little bit about, for those who haven't seen anything about the memorial, what the uh, the idea behind it was and, and what it actually looks like or what it will look like when it's put into place it's it it will be a around 56 and a half foot long bronze wall relief that stands at a height of 11 feet high and it's it's a story um it's a monomyth or the hero's journey it's called a soldier's journey and it's about a character a father who um begins in the the initial section um and he, he, he heads off to war, leaving his family, his wife and his child, joins the comrade in arms, and then he enters into the ordeal, which is the battle. And this story tells um, three stories. It tells a father's journey. It tells um, a country's journey. It tells a, also a, a mythological story. And after he exits this war, there's a one principal figure, and that's the father, that is looking directly out at you. And he has the thousand-yard stare. That's the soldier, the father, and our country transformed by, the, by this war. And from that point on, he walks uh, uh, back towards home. And the very, very last scene is he is standing there with his daughter in front of him. He hands her his helmet. The helmet represents World War One. She represents the next generation, which is World War Two. So vets that see this piece have been the the, the 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 input that I've gotten as an artist is I did my job, I did my task because they said you you got it exactly right. This is what it's like for us when we have to go do something of such you know enormity. It was, of course, a transformative moment in American history as well as world history. But for America, it was really our entry onto the world stage as a world power. But there was so much going on in World War One over there, over here. As an artist, was it difficult for you to pick the subject matter and the way you would go about telling what is, uh, while a fairly short story, just one year that the U.S. was involved, it's still a very in-depth, detailed, and difficult story to wrap your hands around. Was it difficult to decide how to tell it? Yeah, yes, it was very difficult in the fact that you, here you are, you're handed this amazing project, probably, you know, the World Series of Sculptures, and then you have a hundred people telling you what their opinion is, and you still need to maintain your vision, and you also have to do something that is understood by everybody on a universal level. That's a little tricky. So it's like, a, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife, Tracy Slatton, is a, is a novelist and a storyteller, and one morning at breakfast, she said to me, you know, Sabin, you made the hero's journey in this. And it, I, I did some research into this. And the hero's journey is really in every single culture, every single society, 
throughout time, it's reappeared. So you ask me, is this difficult? Yes, it was difficult to come and arrive at this place. But once I was on track and I saw that this was the way to tell the story, because it, it could be understood by, you know, an eighth grader, could be understood by an 80-year-old from a different country, a different culture, then I knew that I was, uh, I was directed and was doing things on, on track. And that, that story is really the only story that exists. You see it all over in Judeo-Christian, um, the Bible, for example, in American Indian culture, in um, Poly, Polynesian culture. Um, it's a story about somebody being uh, enlightened through the process of an epic journey and being transformed um, and then coming out from that transformation wiser and returning back home. And that's the story. It's a very um, simple story in some ways, but it also has great complexity, as I think things of great importance have. It, it truly is a beautiful piece, looking at, at what's been made of it so far, of course. And we're speaking with Saban Howard. He is the sculpture behind uh, the Weight of Sacrifice, which was chosen as the World War I memorial to be put into place in Washington, D.C. in Pershing Park. There's a plan for this to go in. Saban, outside of the, uh, the art involved behind it, uh, was it surprising to you when you first learned that there was no World War I memorial, a true World War I memorial in our nation's capital, considering the importance of of that period of time? Yes, yes and no. It was surprising that a war that was so, so large and changed the world on such a dramatic level. That was that was that was odd to me. The the thing is I'm I'm bicultural. So I grew up in Europe. So I would have expected something like that. But uh, America is also a very modern and forward-thinking country. So I think one of the reasons that it was not in place was because we don't look at history in the same way as Europeans do. And I think that some, that's something that's actually changing now is our, our country and the rest of the world becomes more global and interdigitized. Um, I, I don't think that it's something that you can bypass, and I think it was bypassed by other events in the United States, such as the Great Depression. And so if you, if you do look at history, World War One is where you move into modernity, where the, the United States changes, the way that uh, human beings saw themselves, in, you know, how did they relate to the greater universe, or, this, or were they alone? And World War I did something that really began modernity, and it's this um, be beginning of where man sees himself more alone. I mean, you have to think, 22 million people died in this global epic <laughs> war. It's, it's incomprehensible, those numbers today. It certainly is. Uh, the birth of modern warfare, but modern warfare is, uh, has changed quite a bit since World War I. Uh, really, just uh, when you go back and learn about it, read about it, look at uh, pieces of art about it, uh, a, a terrifying, horrifying time for anyone uh, who was involved in World War I. Uh, of course, the lack of a memorial there, I say, were you surprised? Of course, you've still got to be surprised because it's not in place yet. So, Saban, I wanted to ask you, where does it stand yeah. now? At what point in the process are we and how close are we? to seeing your sculpture in Pershing Park. <laughs> well, this is an epic war, correct? <laughs> well, it should be fitting that it's an epic process to make a memorial to represent an epic war. So we had a, a huge uh, breakthrough moment uh, last month where we passed through the Commission of Fine Arts and the sculpture has now been approved. That means that it will happen, and that there are now uh, that's, I've, I'm, there are details that need to be looked at, like how the sculpture fits within the park, how you have a, a pool, the reflecting pool in front of it, how that will have um, the visitors entering into the park and walking through um, the park, entering into the, uh, I guess you would call it the viewing area, and then how you um, exit the park. So how do you make this something that's a experiential experience, not only to have the sculpture, but have the environment that it fits within? So th those are the things that are really lo being looked at carefully. And I don't think there's, and I'm, I'm going to knock on wood, I really hope this is correct. I don't see any really large hurdles anymore. This is, we've got beef bins, in quotation marks, green lighted to proceed forward. And so the next meetings with the Commission of Fine Arts are more detail-oriented.
Well, that's a good thing. If, if, if the big picture items are out of the way, that's a positive. If it's the smaller things, you would hope they can be dealt with faster. However, in our nation's capital, as we all know, that's often not the case. <laughs> Do yeah. you have any sort of timeline when you expect the piece to start being installed? Or, or where, what, where does this put you? At what, at what point are you able to uh, you know, get started on, on doing what you need to do to get this done? The actual sculpting? All right. So we're looking right now at a fundraising um, year and, and to finish the fundraising by the, the end of year. And that fundraising is a $40 million mark that we need to, to reach because this is paid all by uh, private donor money. And so that we're in a big fundraising uh, moment. Um, I would expect by January that, that that will be taken care of. And then I begin sculpting and I will be doing this in New York City with a crew of three to four um, very um, experienced sculptors of 20 years or plus um, experience. Uh, each section, there are three sections. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And so I'm looking at approximately um, a year and a half on each section, so a total time um, before installation, each each one going in as it's finished, but a total time completion maybe around four and a half, four years. Um, the first section will probably appear within two years, the next one a year and a half to two years after that, and the last one um, about half a year after that. So, it's, but it, this is all still to be, you know, established. And but it's, it's I'm very optimistic at this point because of. Uh, for, for a couple reasons. Um, it's been received with great acclaim um, by many, many different communities and groups. For example, so not only the art community, because it is a piece of art, also by uh, monuments, by civic leaders in Washington, um, by vets as well. It's, it's something that people understand uh, when they look at it. And I think that's really critical today, that you make something that can tell a story that, that it's not esoteric and, it, you know, what is that? You need, that you need a book to explain it. You need something that's visual. And that, that's why this is really a visual narrative that, that, that's universal, that everybody's going to be, you know, affected when they look at it in a visceral way when they visit that site. And that site, of course, is an amazing site, and it's kind of uh, a, a bit of, I guess, good karma that there was, in fact, a park dedicated to General Pershing, who, for those who don't know, was the general who led the American Expeditionary Forces that took part in World War One. It's on the National Mall. It was dedicated to him, you know, a hundred years ago or so, and has kind of fallen into disrepair. It's not a, it's not a hot spot, but is a perfect location. How happy are you with the location of Pershing Park, where it is, and, and, and just the fit for the memorial being already tied to World War One, uh, the park itself? Uh, there are a couple answers to that. Any real estate in Washington is highly sought after. To get a place that's a block and a half from the White House that would have 2,000 visitors on average a day is incredible. This park, to me, is a gift that I hope people when they come to it are really transformed and have a reaction. It's, I, I think that the park is it, right now in disrepair. It's something that was very vibrant in the eighties, but in, at this point it's really fallen apart. And it, it's sad that, you know, you have visitors from all over the world and a block and a half from the white house that they'll, they they'll go by this, this park has fallen by the wayside and you have garbage strewn in the middle. There's a lot of homelessness that, 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 that is, is used as, as a place to hang out. Uh, there's a lot of skateboarders and young kids that hang out and you do what young teenagers do. And so that's, that's something that really needs to be rectified. So it's like, I think if you put a sculpture in a place like Pershing park and you give it, a breath of vibrant new life, it's not only going to transform the space, but it's going to transform the amount of visitors that come to the space. So as the park stands today, it, 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 it's fallen away. Its energy has fallen away. What we're doing is we're reimbuing it with a new energy that is traditional, that speaks of the history of our country. And for me, this is 
this is one of those things that I, I hope someday to, to, to go back there when, when I'm older and to watch the visitors and see their excitement as they walk from left to right along that relief and point to that there's the father. There he is again. That's what I'm that's what that's my dream. And so I'm I'm really I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm also I'm also incredibly excited by this. We've been speaking with Saban Howard. Saban is a world-renowned sculptor, a classically trained sculptor, and he is the sculptor that is has is putting together the World War One memorial that I believe at some point in the near future will indeed be in Pershing Park in Washington, D.C., as he's told us here today. It's cleared most of the major hurdles. Now there's fundraising and other things that need to go on there. Uh, Saban, for people who are interested in finding out more about the memorial, who hear uh, fundraising for something like this and think, that's the kind of thing I can get behind, where can they go if they want to take part in this and where can they go to find out more about the work that you're doing yes um, well it's the the commission that is running this that is responsible for making this happen is the centennial commission and they're they're ww1cc uh, so if you look but if you just google centennial commission world war one memorial washington you will come to their website and there's a page there that you can donate funds to make this happen well it truly is uh, an, an important thing and i think for those of us who served specifically those of us uh, who served in a combat zone uh, to see those uh, american warriors who went over there and and truly invented modern warfare it was a uh, I, it was something that i can't imagine having to go through but they did and they deserve to be honored for it and while there is a national world war 1 memorial uh, there is not one in washington dc and i think it's important that that gets in there and saban i want to thank you for all the hard work you're doing uh not just thank on you. your part of sculpting this but of, of getting the thing done it's really it's really fantastic and uh i think thank a lot you. of us veterans appreciate that thank you very much i, I appreciate those words you're listening to The Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is what we do. And, you know, I'm glad I was able to just connect you with Saban Howard. It's shocking, I guess, upsetting that there is no memorial to those who gave their all in World War One? those who really uh, were the first to take part in modern warfare on behalf of the United States, went overseas and took part in what is, uh, what was a terrifying, terrifying scene, a horrifying war, something unlike anything that had ever been seen before. They went charging in there originally without really the proper equipment, without the proper training, but they still did it. They went over there and risked it all, and many gave all and the fact that there is no world war one memorial in our nation's capital again just kind of shocking now there is a national world war one memorial it's uh it's out in the midwest but it's not a destination that people typically travel to for things like that whereas washington dc that's exactly what people come to washington dc for they come to our nation's capital or go to our nation's capital i should say to see things like the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, to see the White House, to see all the amazing things on the National Mall. I've had the, the I've had the privilege since we live close to here now uh, to bring my family down there, go to the Smithsonian, see some of the amazing things that are out there. But there was none for World War One, and the fact that it will be there after the last World War One veteran passed away, which was uh, some time ago, over a decade ago now, I believe, the last American World War One veteran. And it's kind of sad to me, but still. Though they're gone, we can remember them and we can continue their memory by building this amazing sculpture. And I highly recommend you check it out. It's going to be unlike anything else that's on the mall. Most things, you know, the Washington Monument is huge. The the Lincoln Memorial, you've got uh, the giant Abraham Lincoln. This is not about an individual. This is about the many individuals that joined together as a team as the American expeditionary forces that took part in World War One and went over there. And again, if you have not read or learned about World War One, you should, because it is amazing what those young men and the women who were over there as medics and everyone who was involved, what they went through and what they dealt with. It, it's mind boggling. It truly is. I mean, you can listen to, there's a great podcast out there that I highly recommend that's called uh, Blueprint for Armageddon. And it's all about World War One. 
It's by Dan Carlin, part of his Hardcore History series of podcasts, and it works through World War I and talks about the staggering volume of warfare that was taking place, the staggering amounts of artillery that were being used in any single day on the Western Front, the, the, the new tactics, the weapons that basically uh, were so far ahead of the defenses, it didn't matter if you were in a bunker that was built for, you know, to stop cannonballs when you had 500-pound artillery shells raining down on you, something that had really never been seen or used in warfare before on a large scale, you were done for. And that's essentially what happened when the uh, the Germans came in through Belgium in World War One to begin it. It's where they started, and the Belgians thought they were fortified. Guess what? Not with this new artillery, they weren't. And this new artillery, you couldn't even see where it was firing from. It was it, it was new. It was modern warfare for the first time. You also had automatic uh, weapons for the first time, where those Germans who were coming into Belgium, when they tried to storm those uh, those emplacements that the Belgians had, the Belgians had machine guns and were mowing them down to the point where German soldiers eventually were able to take cover behind the mounds of bodies that were left there. Yeah, it's 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 staggering. And again, highly recommend Blueprint for Armageddon by Dan Carlin. It's part of his Hardcore History series. There are uh, several episodes of it. I think it's like six or seven episodes that are each like three hours long. It's a long listen, but I'm telling you, it goes by fast, and it is fascinating on every level. The personalities that were taking part in the war, the reasons that the war broke out, the technology, the the horror of it all. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's a war that we don't think about because World War II came along just a short while later and was on an even larger scale, took place in even more places. And of course, there was a lot more you know, media coverage once World War II came around. It was a lot easier for the media to cover it with radio having become a thing and with uh, the, the, the movies, the film strips and everything. Uh, really fascinating time periods in the United States history and really when we became a player on the international stage. And it looks like we're getting closer and closer to the men that made that happen being memorialized in Washington, D.C. That's something I'm very, very you're listening to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.